I think Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Probably because as a kid, I got to spend it in a place called Plymouth. Not been here since I was a boy. The sky unwrapped the world, my toy. A movie reel, a million miles long. On and on. One prairie outpost, you are how I feel. Alone in a flatland between the dream and the real. The irony, ask me, where have you been? I don't know, I don't know, because I don't know where to begin. Now, you might be thinking that I'm talking about Plymouth, Massachusetts, and that we dressed up as pilgrims or something on Thanksgiving. But no, this was another Plymouth, about a thousand miles west. I don't know where to begin. Actually, I know exactly where to begin. Back home again in Indiana. I had an inquiring mind as a youngster. Asked a lot of questions. But you know, what kid didn't growing up in the 60s? It was an era that was all about intelligence gathering. It was the age of the spy. 007, Maxwell Smart, and my favorite, the man from UNCLE. In fact, as a kid living on Green Tree Drive in central Indiana, my best friend Steve and I formed our own spy agency. We called it Pyoff Patog, a private investigative organization formed for the protection of the people and toads of Green Tree. We proved two things beyond all doubt. One, we had a deep abiding affection for amphibians. And two, we were serious geeks. Our first mission to bring the truth to our neighborhood was a newspaper, the Green Tree Gazette. We cranked it out on Steve's toy printing press. In it, we asked the tough probing questions that everyone in the neighborhood had a right to know. Like, why does old man Riggins get so upset when we play tag in his cornfield? And is Mrs. Nolan really as crazy as she sounds when she yells at us for running through her yard? In order to ensure our own safety, we only delivered the paper to everyone's mailboxes while under the cover of darkness. We even had a code. Steve would call my house and say, The crow flies in square circles. Then I'd respond with, You're crazy, kid. This is the President of the United States. Then I'd hang up and go to Steve's house. We delivered the paper to 14 families who paid 50 cents each to receive six issues of 40% savings off the newsstand price. Of course, we folded our $7 windfall in subscriptions straight back into the business. But unfortunately, internal cost overruns forced the paper into bankruptcy. And my career as an investigative journalist came to a tragic end at a very tender young age. My inquisitive nature, however, remained intact. And at no time was it put to the test more severely than every year when we would spend Thanksgiving in Plymouth. I had questions. I wanted to know why we kids had to eat in the kitchen during the biggest feast of all feasts. Why were my sisters and cousins and I not in the dining room with the grown-ups? My inner Ilya Kuryakin just had to know, what were they talking about in there that they didn't want us to hear? I'm Jeff Hoyt. Welcome to Hoytus Interruptus. Are you going on Thanksgiving Day? To those family celebrations Passing on knowledge down through the years At the gathering of generations Every year it's the same 
My cousin's house on Michigan Street in Plymouth, Indiana, was a great place to spend a holiday. Plymouth was magic to my sisters and me. A prototypical Midwestern town, with its oak-lined streets and those classic antique street lamps that gave off a warm yellow glow for anyone taking an evening stroll along the sidewalk. Everything about Plymouth exuded Rockwellian America to me. My cousin's house had a large wraparound porch, huge rooms, a stairway with two landings, and an upstairs filled with nooks and crannies and hiding places. Before dinner was served, if we weren't watching Lauren Green and Betty White hosting the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on TV, my cousins and sisters would play one of our favorite games, Laundry Chute. The game was simple, really. Some of us would be on the top floor throwing things into the chute, and the rest of us would be in the basement, taking turns being the one with hands extended, trying to catch whatever came next without really knowing what it might be or when it might arrive. The potential for surprise or even injury made the game especially thrilling. Although, to our credit, even as goofy kids, we had rules. No breakables and no cutlery. Only had to learn that lesson once. On the main floor, traditional holiday rolls were on full display. The men were tucked away in the TV room, watching the football game. We'd hear the occasional, Get him! Or, Who the hell was he trying to throw to? In the kitchen, Preparations for the feast were ongoing. The women of the family were constantly back and forth between the kitchen and dining room. With each new bowl of mashed potatoes or basket of rolls, a spectacular tableau of food would begin to build on the dining room table. We kids would slowly see the feast develop as each trip between the top and bottom of the laundry chute would take us right through the dining room. It was like live-action time-lapse photography. Eventually, the call would go out. Time for dinner. There'd be a stampede of footsteps from all directions, doors opening, doors closing, and just like that, there we'd be, the whole family, gathered round the table. I always loved the sight of it. The place settings on the finest china spaced perfectly around the table. The turkey roasted to a golden brown right in the middle, surrounded by all the traditional accoutrements, mashed potatoes and gravy, stuffing, candied yams and cranberry sauce, and all the rest. A true feast. Lord, every year we gather here to eat around this table. Give us the strength to stomach as much as fast as we are able. On this auspicious occasion This special family dinner If I argue with a loved one, Lord Please make me the winner And then, with a flourish, Aunt Grace would swing open the door to the kitchen and present us with the kids' table. I think since I was always the oldest of the banished kids, I was the only one who had any kind of a problem with it. 
Yet thinking back, there was a lot to like about Thanksgiving at the kids' table. We had access to the same food everyone else did. Plus, when the door between the kitchen and dining room finally closed us off from the secret goings-on of the society of grown-ups, we kids could set our own rules. For instance, why were there peas on our plates? There were no peas on the grown-up table. In fact, who says peas were even part of the traditional Thanksgiving feast? I don't remember seeing the pilgrims eating peas. Yet they always seemed to show up on the kids' table every year. So the older kids took it upon themselves to redistribute our abundance of peas to our less fortunate younger siblings. It always started with misdirection. Someone would say to my younger cousin Mark, Hey, what's that on the refrigerator? He'd look behind him, and his older brother Kent would dump a spoonful of peas into his milk. Which, by the way, was a very effective pea medium, since they sink to the bottom of the glass and disappear. Once Mark discovered he'd been had, things would escalate into a free-for-all, or rather a pea-for-all. The hated vegetable would be reapportioned into each other's milk at a dizzying pace, like stockbrokers on Wall Street during a trading frenzy. Then the misdirection ploys would begin to get a little carried away. Uh-oh, there's a giant spider on your head. Or, hey, look behind you. It's Haley's Comet. Eventually, someone would get hurt or ganged up on. A parent would be informed, a parental edict would follow, and we'd be told to go outside or play upstairs. As we'd cross through the dining room on the way to the stairs, the grown-ups would become strangely silent. That only made me suspicious. What do they talk about in here? What nefarious secrets are they keeping from us? But there was plenty of time to become the boy from uncle later. The grown-ups weren't going anywhere. They'd be hanging out at the table for hours. Besides, we had more important things to do. It was time to play Super Ball. Oh, this was my favorite game of all. From my cousin's upper bunk bed, we had a straight shot into the bathroom across the hall. The game involved throwing the Super Ball into the bathroom on one bounce, where it would then careen wildly around the room. A spotter would stand outside the door and count up the points. If at any time the ball bounced in and out of the bathtub, three points. If it hit inside the sink, ten points. Off the window, five points. Overturned bathroom items like shampoos and lotion bottles scored points as well. And of course, the holy grail of all Super Bowl tournament action would be if the ball came to its final resting place with a resounding splash inside the toilet. Fifty points for that rare feat. It was on Thanksgiving Day, though, that our Super Bowl fun came to a premature end when I scored a direct hit on the fluorescent tube that lit the bathroom. The explosion of light, sparks, and tiny shards of glass was, well, for a moment anyway, a supreme childhood thrill. But then Aunt Grace saw the damage to her bathroom and our Super Bowl days were over. We needed something new to do. So while my sisters and cousins contemplated a trip to the park, I was left once again to wonder just what in the heck those grown-ups were talking about down there. It was time to find out once and for all. So I summoned up my finely honed intelligence-gathering instincts and set out on my most dangerous mission. I quietly sneaked down the stairs and crouched behind the chair closest to the action. Of course, I could hear everything just fine from right there, but when you're a stealthy secret agent like me, 
close was no cigar. There could be no sense of a mission accomplished if I didn't find a way under that table. Suddenly, a gap opened next to my Uncle Don's legs. Go, go, go! I slithered through the narrow opening. And just like that, I was in. He didn't see me. I know this because if he had, Uncle Don, practical joker that he was, would have then said something like, So let's get back to why we're all here. How are we going to dispose of the children? So I laid there, underneath the table, waiting to finally find out for myself what the grown-ups have been keeping from us during Thanksgiving dinner. This was going to be good. First, my mother asked her sister Ginny if she remembered the Petty Club back in high school when Mom's girlfriends would climb up into the loft in the barn and let Ginny occasionally join them in their secret sanctuary. Grandma Edna remembered how Aunt Sandy used to always spill her glass of water at the dinner table, earning the nickname Never Fail. Then the whole table roared with laughter at the memory of Uncle Don as a boy jumping up on top of the fridge where he could gnaw on a chicken leg, just like the cavemen did in the movie One Million B.C. with Lon Chaney. After that, the men talked up next summer's family fishing trip to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, while the women relived last spring's amazing blueberry harvest and how there might still be pie in the freezer by the time the berries turn ripe again next year. For me, under the table, well, what can I say? I was getting nothing. No deep, dark family secrets. No whispered oath of confidentiality while unspeakable revelations tumbled out over the table. I heard only life being lived and relived through story, laughter, and memory. I couldn't have known it at the time, but I was listening to a kind of conversational jazz that was no doubt happening simultaneously at millions of dining room tables across the land as friends and family gathered together for the Feast of All Feasts, a special day of sharing and thanksgiving. That's it for this edition of Hoytus Interruptus. If you'd like an easy way to get future shows automatically downloaded onto your hard drive, just scroll down the page at hoytus.com. The iTunes link will get you to a subscribe button. Thanks for taking the time. I'm Jeff Hoyt. Have a happy Thanksgiving. 